0: Welcome to a very special episode of Real Indigenous. For your listening pleasure on the way to or from Indian Market, we have a great interview with Lily Gladstone from when she was here at Dead Center Film Festival. And we're going to listen to our most inspiring interview with the amazing Jane Myers, who is the producer of the Emmy-nominated movie Prey. Be safe, hydrate, and have fun. Hey, this is Angela with Real Indigenous and I'm here with a very special guest. If you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, uh, next Hello, my friends. My name is Lily Gladstone, and I'm an actress in one of the films that's showing here at Dead Center that we're here to celebrate tonight, Fancy Dance by Erica Tremblay and Michiana Elise. And you were also in Quantum Cowboy. Yes, indeed, by Jeff
0: Marslett. So I've seen that one, and it's <laughs> amazing. It's just such a
1: mind trip. How was how it working in that medium? Oh, it was so fun, and it was so freeing. Um, an analogy I and a couple of the other actors now are using when we talk about it, it's like being a kid and wanting to put on a play with your friends and pulling out, like, a, a box of scarves and, and necklaces and hats and then just having fun, just making believe, which really we had the freedom to do, um, you know, like kids in a way because we knew the animation was going to... Fill out what we were trying to sketch, um, and it was just—it was just incredibly fun. Yeah. So, fancy dance is this something that's a personal project for you? Yeah, fancy dance is is personal across a lot of different like platforms, I guess. Personal in the sense that as as an artist, Erica is a director and a writer that I will work with as long as we're both working and as long as we both want to work together. Um, I worked in a, a short that she did Little Chief based upon her mother's experience, which I believe we're also seeing tonight. Um, her mother's experience being a teacher in small town, rural, reservation, um, elementary school and, you know, not too unlike a school that I went to, that I grew up in, um, So the characters that Erica writes feel very familiar and very lived in, and I love the way that she works. She makes the kind of films that I personally, as an artist, want to see made. And then Fancy Dance, just in terms of, in terms of how it draws a quote-unquote unconventional family, but family, you know, there's, There are a few other films that can really get to the heart of how special that niece-auntie Bond is. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that really is what inspired Erica to make the film. Um, Erica, after we made Little Chief, took a break for a while from filmmaking to go study and revitalize her Cayuga language with six nations in Canada. Um, She was there for three years prior to COVID, working on revitalizing her language. And she picked up that the word for auntie, kind of like it is in Blackfeet, um, we don't really have a word for auntie uncle, like like in English. Um, in Cayuga, and you know, it's similar in Blackfeet, but in Cayuga, the word for auntie is other mother. So she will really wanted to get to the heart of that, um, that matriarchal, maternal feminine connection that is so damaged and hurt and erased mm-hmm. by like patriarchy mm-hmm. and doing so in a way that's really you know it's a love story between an aunt and a niece mm-hmm. and it's centered around a missing sister and you know missing murdered indigenous women persons children two, two spirits it's, it's an issue that in some way impacts and touches every every native's life. You know, we, we all we all know somebody maybe in our own family, maybe in our own like immediate family, but definitely we all know people from our community who who fit that and we all feel the injustice of that invisibility and the frustration of how the systems that are created by this this Patriarchy mm-hmm. that has uh, created the nuclear family that has, you know, wedged itself in and pried apart in a lot of ways. Indigenous ideas of community and family and continues to do so. You know, awaiting the the Iqua decision. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's a big reason why we made this film is we wanted to crack on crack into. You know, a very sympathetic, humorous, grounded, and loving look at a post-colonial family that has maintained its strong matrilineal bonds, and uh, no matter what maintains those strong matrilineal bonds. Kriana for doing that. I appreciate it. And break a leg.
0: Pagalayaf FC. Vanga Angela Starts, and welcome to Real Indigenous, where we discuss everything on your screen and everything in between. And tonight I have our regular hosts.
2: It's Jay, this is Noeta Harjo. Theo in Hawaii, it's Candace.
3: Halito, this is Tully. Uh, hi, it's
0: Jason. And tonight we have a very special guest if you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself.
4: Oh my goodness, Madoe. I'm Jane Myers. Um, I'm a producer. I most recently produced Prey, but uh, I've been producing for about 10 years now on different projects. Uh, I'm an Emmy award-winning producer. And uh, I'm Comanche and Blackfeet, originally from Oklahoma, so very proud to be doing this podcast with all my Oklahomies.
0: Well, thank you for joining us, and I think it's kind of like old home week, since you know most, or at least a couple of us. Yes. How long that's who, how we... who all of you work with here before?
4: Um, Jason, we haven't worked together, but we know each other yeah. from the industry, right? And then uh, Tolly, Tolly and I go way back, way, way back.
0: Uh-oh, that sounds like so a story.
4: <laughs> so I know Tolly when he was out in LA off and on. Oh yeah,
3: That's I forgot about ago. that. We uh-huh. we uh, uh, chicken and waffles.
4: Yeah, Roscoe's chicken yep. and waffles.
0: <laughs> oh, now you have to tell us what that is.
4: Oh, uh, Roscoe's chicken and waffles, best waffles and fried chicken and greens and kind of like Oklahoma comfort food. So uh, Steve, Judd, Tolly, and myself used to always. Uh, meet up there so we could you know have that comfort food uh all of the hip-hop artists go there like uh i don't know tolly you want to name some people that go there a lot of (laughs) people are there
3: there. just jane's the only one that that really mattered and uh (laughs) but um uh if you ever seen this movie called tape heads with john cusack and uh i forget the other actor but in that movie they do like a, a music video with roscoe's chicken and waffles so that's how I knew about it when I was a kid.
4: It's good. And uh, like Snoop Dogg goes there, you know, it's open, like they have really late hours. So you can always get fed there. It's really nice. Uh, if you're in Phoenix, you have to go to Lolo's, Lolo's Chicken and chicken and Waffles. That's really good.
0: I think we have that in Oklahoma City. There's something that's kind oh. of taking you? your life in your hands when you go stand it. Noeta, have you been there? Is it Boat? I can't remember who it is. It's a it's one of those fried chicken places that you that move around and you have to figure out where they are. And
4: (laughs) well, if you find out where they are, let me know. (laughs) I'm flying out to Oklahoma City in the morning. So,
0: oh, nice. Say, so you're from Oklahoma? Where'd you grow up at?
4: Um, I was born in Lawton, Oklahoma. I'm Comanche, so I grew up in my Comanche homelands. I graduated high school, moved away, went to college, came back in the 90s when I worked for Ralph Lauren. I was an account executive for Ralph Lauren Corp and uh, came back to Oklahoma. I was surprised I didn't see a lot of natives. I thought when I'd go in all the stores, I'd see natives everywhere. And I really didn't. And I was kind of disappointed. So then I went to work for uh, the governor's office and I was the director of American Indian projects for our state centennial. And uh, I lobbied for that job because I wanted natives to have a part. How could you have like the second biggest population in the state and nobody's celebrating us, but you're celebrating like the centennial and the land run. Oh, heck no. So uh, (laughs) I I was effective. I got to do that. Kelly Haney at the time was, uh, he was, he's my adopted father. I was a Senate page in high school for him. And that was like his second year that he was a legislator. And I just to see a full blood native recognizably native you know and I was so excited so I made my senator I was like can I switch I want to go work over there because he's native and he was just like fine whatever so he let me switch so that that was kind of nice and I, I knew Kelly ever since and at the time Kelly was the head of the appropriations committee which meant he he held the purse strings for the state of Oklahoma which is amazing so I lobbied for that job and I'm like wait a minute they're celebrating the centennial and how can that be happening without native involvement you know and he, he said, uh, you know, he, he was for me, but like some other, other people that were pushing back were like, well, why would natives want to celebrate the centennial? I said, because we want to celebrate ourselves and we want to celebrate all of our accomplishments. And they were like, oh, okay, fine. So I came out of uh, corporate life and I went into state life, which was very different, <laughs> big difference, <laughs> yeah, especially budgetary difference. But, you know, I wanted to do, do that to, to make a difference in, in people. And then um, from there, I started, uh, a PR company and that's how I got into film.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting journey to go from yeah. PR to film. Just as a PR person, I, I went from higher ed to fed, which is also an interesting journey, but not ever in a film. I mean, my film career was very separate from any of the PR stuff that I did.
4: I think, you know, I I'm always, um, excuse me, wanting to look at different uh, industries and jobs, but to be able to look without being like a part of that major workforce so I can see what exactly I want to do and where I could fit. So uh, from the state, I started a, a magazine, Oklahoma Casinos and Entertainment, first time ever a native woman owned magazine distributed by the state of Oklahoma for us. And that's to me that's pretty amazing you know that's something my grandparents would have never I was raised by my grandparents by the way and so that's something that they would have never dreamed of you know and I already had the contacts from uh working from the state to um, like tourism and everything and they said if you get me your magazines by the 25th of every month we'll we'll ship them out to all the uh there were like eight uh welcome centers at the time so I was like sure we can do that so that was kind of cool
0: That is cool. How many, let's see, I'm trying to think back.
4: How many casinos were around? I mean, they're so big. We had 99. We had 99 casinos at the time. So I developed a key guide in the middle. So you could open up the magazine and right in the middle, you could see which uh, casinos had a snack bar, which had a, you know, fine dining, which had a hotel, which had concerts, you know, all the venues because all different types of people come over the borders and they can pick what they want without having to, you know, go into something so that was kind of that was I mean that was just kind of my idea and wanting to do something for Native people and Native gaming so that was my way of looking at gaming by having a magazine but I didn't have to have a gaming license because I wasn't on the floor and you know whatnot so that was kind of you know a little way to take a look at things.
0: Yeah that's cool that's a lot of uh, information gathering and (laughs) compiling and trying to translate to those people that are just stopping in to wash their
4: hands and take a break mm-hmm. pick up the magazine and take the guide and yeah it's kind of cool i enjoyed that
3: is that magazine still around
4: i don't think so i think it changed and it's called something else now but no in fact when you met me in la i was still running it from la oh okay so when i lived in la i was still running the casino
3: yeah i'm sure magazine. i've seen that magazine around because i remember yeah. seeing something similar and I didn't know that you uh, ran that because that's a good idea. To have, like, yeah. Yeah. I have a, like a whole guide of like where to go and who's who and what's what. It's almost like those things you find in uh, Las Vegas and those kind of places where you just say, Oh, here's where this show is going to be. And here's where the, you know, the food that gets the five stars are and all that.
4: Yes. But you have to remember we're in the buckle of the Bible belt or we are the buckle of the Bible belt. So, um, I kind of, uh, I was able to use the entertainment factor and enter. Uh, so, like whoever, what concerts were coming in, we would do those interviews with people. You know, so that way people, oh look, there's so and so coming in at a concert. Oh my gosh, Faith Hill. I want to read this story, but yet, you know, it had the all the native gaming stuff inside. Yep, creativity. You have to be creative and like think outside of the box. My my thing is what has not been done. And why hasn't it been done? And can we do this? So that that's my thing. I always want to do something different that nobody has done before. So.
0: So what took you out to L.A.?
4: Um, I started working uh, in the entertainment business. So when I had the magazine, well, when I was working for the state, you know, I had to go visit all the tribal leaders and all the different tribes and people were always trying to hire me you should come and do this event for us or you should come work for us. And I couldn't because I worked for the state and that was the constituency, you know, the the tribes were and the tribal leaders. So uh, I said, okay, when my contract is over and the centennial is over, I'll open my own uh, PR company, which was Jane Myers and Associates. And we uh, dealt with tribal uh, public relations. And so that's, you know, I I just opened that little thing in uh, Oklahoma City, had about five people working there. And we just melded to whatever project we had. So I got a call from, from music for, from Larry Gatlin wanting me to handle some thing for him in Oklahoma and in, um, in Florida with the Seminoles. And I said, sure, I can handle that. And um, so I, I thought, well, gosh, this entertainment industry pays a lot more, right. than just basic, you know, public relations in Oklahoma. <laughs> so, uh, so I just kind of like threw my name out there. I started like you know, promoting, you know, my company out to everyone, like all over East Coast, West Coast. And then I got a call from Mel Gibson uh, for Apocalypto. And that's how I got into the entertainment because I worked, uh, nobody did, uh, now I I call it, um, you know, uh, community, like, you know, doing community relations to tribes for films, you know, uh, Native community engagement. So I like to think that I coined that phrase because we did native community engagement for Apocalypto. And he asked me to plan a whole tour for him across the, the United States. And I said, sure, I can do that. So that was my first big, like, big, big client. And when I started doing that, I was like, oh, I could do this, this is fun, you know? So uh, so that was, that was great. And that's how, and then I uh, interviewed for a job at the Institute of American Indian Arts. And that's where Tully, you met me because I had an office in LA called the American Indian National Center for Television and Film. So I was their first director.
3: So you went from apocalypto to II, kind of doing everything, but uh-huh. you're also, you're also a fashion person. a fa- What do you call it, Fashion designer? Is that the term?
4: No, no, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. I don't really say I'm a fashion designer. It's kind of, you know, I worked for Ralph Lauren for uh, as a senior account executive for nine years, the Ralph Lauren Corp. And the funny thing is like, you know, how native people, I always want things to come full circle. And you always go, Oh, if I did this 10 years ago, will it ever come full circle or how how does that work? So now I am actually on the board for Ralph Lauren's uh, external advisory committee. You know, on uh, it's American Indian and Indigenous uh, uh, External Advisory Council. So I'm on that for the corporation. But in 2019, because my son's a model in LA, Philip, um, he was reached out to by Ralph Lauren to be in, a, um, into, in, in the holiday ad. And they never had a real Native American family from Oklahoma. So uh, my two daughters and uh, Philip, we were all in that. And, uh, that was pretty amazing. And then they said, why is your name familiar? Like Jane Myers, Jane Myers, why do I know this? And I said, because I used to work here, I was in the company and they were like, oh my God, they said, (laughs) they said, why did you quit? And I said, I quit because I had Philip. I had three children within four years. So see, I constantly challenged myself. Oh, so I had, (laughs) (laughs) I had three children in four years and I, I felt like I was never at home for the holidays. So I ended up, um quitting ralph lauren or I, I resigned from ralph lauren because i wanted to be home with my small children and enjoy family life and the holidays and so um and they look and they said and look it was philip that brought you back to us so then the pandemic hits and when the pandemic hit i get another call from ralph lauren and this is before i was even on their advisory council and they said you're a producer right and i said yes and they said we're behind on shooting our uh, our uh fall campaign. If we give you a budget, can you shoot your family, uh, out in Santa Fe and handle the whole shoot for us? I said absolutely. And so they sent me the budget. I hired all natives. You know, I, the majority of people were natives that were shooting on this. Yes. And so I mean, like native hair, hair and makeup, native uh wardrobe, native. I mean, they sent huge trunks of all the clothing and stuff. It was, and I rented a friend's ranch here and. We shot uh, for one day on the ranch. And because we had had, like, I guess I wanted somebody, I I had my father drive in, you know, from Oklahoma, Jim Myers, and I had him in there. So it was, it was Philip and I and uh, my dad. And that was kind of the last big thing that we did with my father. He passed in May just this past year, but it was so cool because they were like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, because I already knew their philosophy. I knew what it needed to look like. And so I produced it and I would be looking at it and then, okay, and I'd be in my outfit and I'd run in front of the camera and be walking in, you know? And uh, so that was kind of interesting because we shot still shots. We shot uh, video. We shot uh, audio like that whole day. We did all these different parts that they were able to put together.
0: That's a lot.
4: So things come full circle. So just know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So is that going to make you want to, direct a feature film that you're
4: on your uh, oh people ask me that I don't know I love producing because I love people and um now I always try to like sneak myself into my film projects you know because I'm leaving a footprint for my grandchildren and future great-grandchildren and uh so I was just sneaking there some way I don't know you know I've directed you know some little things but I don't know if I'd want to direct a feature you know this this last feature kind of really wore me out considering that we shot it during the pandemic and we shot it, we were up in Canada and the borders were closed. So, you know, it's kind of hard to be super creative and in, in different kind of, in that kind of environment, so.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know that a lot of people understand how long a film like that takes from concept to distribution.
4: Uh, from from concept, yeah. from when I got the call that and I got the script and everything to now, I have Mm -hmm. been on it for 25 months to now, because, you know, you're still considered like press junket and I'm still doing press. So 25 months. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: And how many miles have you traveled doing all of the junkets?
4: (laughs) I have done. uh, I think they told me I've done close to 350 interviews and podcasts and I have traveled all over the United States, London. Uh, the good thing is Zoom. And so now we can kind of do things on Zoom, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I mean, some of those are Zooms, but I mean, all of like Native nerds. I mean, Tolly, you, you guys and uh, Jason, you probably see how like the Native community has really embraced this. And so I made sure like all the Native bloggers and Native, uh, you know, like Native podcast people were, thrown in with the regular press people because I wanted us to be able to have first access as well so they all got to watch the movie before and you know uh, I in fact I just watched somebody's I watched podcasts during the day so uh, I had just seen a podcast that I had never watched before so you know I wanted them to get the feel of what it's like to be like you know pulled into this big press junk at the same time as everyone else and not an ancillary thing you know that falls later
3: yeah,
0: and, and that, that includes. Go oh, ahead, Sorry, Angela, sorry. <laughs> and that includes like the debut at Comic Con.
4: Yeah, we did. Uh, oh, that was so crazy. We did uh, Comic Con was our uh, world premiere. Sixteen hours after that, I was on a plane to London for our international premiere. And then we came back through New York, Oklahoma, because we also premiered for a thousand Comanches, you know. Uh, And so then from that we went out to back to LA. We had one day before our big premiere in LA. So yeah, and then just every place else, you know, every place else.
0: Sunrise and I were at the one in downtown Oklahoma Oklahoma City. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Oh, okay, cool.
0: That was so cool with the because they showed the Comanche version.
4: Mm -hmm. that's never been done. So, okay. So back to my thing of, you know, wanting to be first and do things. So we've never had a movie in Comanche ever, like never a short film, never a feature film. Um, So for me to be able to get this done is like really amazing. Um, And we have never had, there's never been a native film. That's been, I mean, a a film that's been in the native language at the time of release Mm -hmm. never when they did Star Wars, Star Wars was what, 25 years old, you know, 30 years old. When they did Finding Nemo, it was 20 years old, you know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like an afterthought. What's something cool we could do? Oh, let's try to do this in a native language. No, this is brand new. We want to do it in the native language now. So my thing is like shifting the paradigm. So now when there, there wasn't like a there wasn't a footprint or I couldn't call anybody and say, how do you do this? Because it was so different. So I kind of, I mean, I flew to Oklahoma with our whole Pixelogic, uh, who does the dubbing for Disney. I, I flew with them to Oklahoma. We brought a, in our top two language speakers, uh, Dr. Katherine Breiner and Guy Narcomy. And we recorded language tracks here, in, uh, there in Oklahoma City at, uh, what's that sound studio in Oklahoma City? There's a couple, there's one in Midwest city There's one right in the middle of Oklahoma city, uh, but we recorded it there. And then I took it back out to LA. So, I mean, that's like phenomenal.
0: So and all of the actors did their own dub, right? Mm
4: -hmm. That's why we had to record guide guide tracks So they got the dubs and they got to hear it. So now things are different. Like I think when they've done other movies, they've had native uh, that tribe speakers and then they cast them in the roles, but now like, Um, All the actors have first rights of refusal in their contracts because this is a big studio film. Right. So so uh, they get first right of refusal and nobody wanted everybody, you know, nobody said no. They were like, I want to record my part in Comanche. I want to do it in Comanche. And I was just like, "Okay." So, you know, (laughs) everybody had to learn it. And uh, yeah. So like when you watch the regular and you hear Tabe speaking, right, then you watch the Comanche dub, you'll still hear Tabe speaking and Tabe speaking Comanche. And to me, that's so cool because I want this to really, you know, uh, I want the youth to, you know, be looking at this and going, "Oh my God, Grandma, tell me how to say this or what did they say?" And you know, it appeals to a whole family and just brings people together. You know, mm-hmm. parents can tell their children what it says; children can ask. I mean, it just broadens and opens up a whole language conversation. Uh,
5: what is the Comanche language speaker's name again? Cat. Kat-
4: that's uh, Dr. Catherine Briner. She is the director of the Comanche Nation Language Program. Yeah. But then also, Guy, I brought in Guy Narcomy because he's one of our, um, our really great speakers, and he even did write the Comanche Dictionary. So um, you have to remember, it's period. So it's in the and mm-hmm. language, 1700s, and language evolves. Guy was raised by his grandparents, and he speaks an older Comanche, kind of like I do. So like he and I could understand like you know these older words, so we needed to use older words in there because it's not like a totally evolved into what it is today, right? So, yeah. you know, we wanted to try to you know put some of that period uh, Comanche in there as well.
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, God, we're buddies. Uh, you know, guys. Go over to, uh, eat at Phyllis's house all the time, and <laughs> and um, I had uh, worked on a short film with him during that uh, that American Experience mm-hmm. thing. And so he he was he's he's interested in filmmaking. So that was good to have him get out there and do that. And, and uh, he did a story about like the, the the Comanche runners, and it was a really good story. i like to see that being done as a like a a picture, you know, kids book or something. I, so if you talk to him, drop him in his ear, say do it in Comanche language, because it was really good what he did.
4: I'll do that. he I think he's just taking a Jane break right now.
3: we got the uh, you know
4: we got we got that done in two months, which is record time. We still had to because you know this this film was um, scheduled to go on to Hulu. So we had a deadline for Hulu to get all the posts and everything else done to the Hulu standard, right? But mm-hmm. when they said we could do language, I had two months to do it. So like Guy lived out in California for, I don't know, like four weeks, maybe three or four weeks. We were in the sound booths every day. I mean, it was a big thing because if you think about, okay, you're putting it in Comanche. We did everything but the dog bark in Comanche because <laughs> think think about when Nadu's walking through the camp, when she walks up that big embankment, she's walking through the camp with her uh, fish and um and you hear all those people like crossing in the background talking all those people have to speak so guy was out there and he uh we had to have um those are uh just like voice um people that do voiceover and everything so we had about 10 of those people all different ages and he had to teach them different comanche phrases so you could see them walking through and you know oh good morning hey are we gonna go hunting today oh how did your hunt go oh did you grab some wood oh let me uh you know let me brush your hair i'm gonna comb your hair before i send you out just seeing you know, like what people talk about what do normal people talk about in the morning in a camp so all yeah you know, not just our actors and the, the regular dialogue but it's called walla so all of the walla had to be in comanche language too that's
6: awesome yeah that is so yeah.
5: cool yeah. so i was just gonna say like the uh the i mean the dr catherine is that her name again yes yeah, I've been following her on social media like for a while, and I, she's so passionate about uh, our language, and it's just really kind of nice to see like this end up being like a big project that she takes on, and yeah, if there's anyone that would be, I can't imagine anyone else being more passionate about like trying to, you know, do this correctly, you know, than her, mm-hmm. and I know how hard that that would be, because, you know, like, I mean, there's so, like, I've talked about language before how I myself have got frustrated trying to do a language program like a Comanche language program here in Albuquerque and there was like all these different like you're talking about there's all these different kind of like factions and and families and it's like well we speak it this way and this is what the dictionary says and I'm just like ah (laughs) it's like (laughs) this thing's gonna die while we're all bitching at each other you know it's just like but um, yeah it's really cool to see uh, I, I I was like really impressed and just like super, like it felt good to see the to see our language on on such a like a big tent production like that. Like I was it, also what, I was wanting to ask you like uh, can you talk about how like just what it was what the screening at the at in Lawton was like for the tribe. How how was what was that like?
4: Anytime we've had a tribal screening, you know, um, I mean because of course I'm enrolled Comanche you know, and so any um, Comanche and Blackfeet, but I inherited, my my grandmother raised me and she was from Montana, so I inherited Blackfeet. I have some Blackfeet land, but I've always been enrolled in Comanche. So, you know, when we grow up, we always want to bring something back to our people from Mm -hmm. the beginning of time of Comanches. It's important, like, how are you going to earn your name? How are you going to earn your place? Because you want to bring something back. Mm -hmm. And since I started in film and film researching, like Mm -hmm. Comanches are, portrayed so horribly we're the savages we're the sidekick we're you know hostels we're all of these different things and never like really never really portrayed as a people so when I first got this script it was kind of a rough you know script Juanita Padapone had looked at a very early script probably like four years ago four or five years ago and she and Dustin Tamakira and the script evolved and it changed and then when I came on I just wanted The world because you know, people are like, Oh, it didn't go in theaters, it went in Hulu. Mm -hmm. Guess what? When it went to Hulu, it went around the world all at once. Mm -hmm. I mean, the world got to see what Comanche people look like, what they hunt like, what they fight like, what they argue. Do brothers and sisters argue? Absolutely. Do you know, young people argue? Absolutely. Uh, They got to see and they got to hear what Comanches sound like. What does our language sound like? What does you know, so that to me, that's like you know, I, that was just my, my thing where, you know, I'm like, I want to change this and change this paradigm on how we've been portrayed in film since the beginning of time, what kind of, you know, warring, you know, people burning everything up and, you know, whatever. So I wanted to kind of change that and make the other people look like, um, so like the Comanches could be the prey, the other people are the predators. You had the French, they're all dirty and just, you know, killing everything, leaving it all over, you know, um, you know, you had all of these other different, different aspects. So for me, it was, you know, really important, because I knew like the potential of it coming out. And you have to remember, at the time when that deal was made, all the studios were closed, nobody was filming anything. Nobody was because it was the pandemic. So, you know, when you get offered an opportunity, it's kind of like a gamble. Okay, should I take this? Or should I not take this? If I take this, I can go and make a movie. And that's what I want to do. So, okay, I'm going to take this and while I'm up there, I'm going to make it like the biggest and best possible. And one good thing about the border being closed, none of the executives could come up and visit.
0: So <laughs> well, that yeah, was, I was <laughs> going to ask about that. If there was a little bit of creative license. Total creative license. Are you no kidding? Thumb on top of you, yeah.
4: When you were uh, when we started this out and we were kind of, you know, getting started just now, you were saying, Oh, how does it feel back to be an independent film? And I'm like, Making this film was almost like being an independent film. Even though we had the big crew and the big budget, our creative team was small. Me as a creative producer, Dan Trachtenberg as the director, co-writer. Our writer was still in the States. You know, we it was small, just small. So, you know, we got to do things. I mean, we had to problem solve just like Tully, like you do on sets. Jason, like you do on sets. You know, we had to problem solve uh, because we were doing testing. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So one day, um, Dan was like, you know, I wanted when Nadu's walking up the, the embankment going to the camp, I want a man and woman riding on the horses. And I'm like, okay, so why do we not have that? He said, because we don't have a woman stunt person. And I said, well, I said, well, why can't we get one? Because they have to be tested 24 hours, they have to test negative, and then they have to come on set and test negative. And I'm like, And he said, that's a whole day. And I wanted to shoot that today because we were shooting two different scenes that day. And I said, oh, well, wait a minute. I've been tested and I'm negative. I'll ride the horse in. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you will? And I said, oh, shoot. Yeah, absolutely. So I knew the other guy. He's a famous rider from up in Canada. And I said, let's go ride And that one horse that I'm riding, the polka dot one. I used to ride that every weekend up there because a friend of mine owns that. And so, uh, that's the horse that was in Revenant actually remember the horse that jumped off the oh. thing. And then he was inside that's, that's Taffy Taffy's a male, but why Taffy is named Taffy. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> anyway, so I said, is, if I can ride Taffy, cause I'm used to riding Taffy, I'll ride Taffy in. So see, it's just like being on the independent. It's like, yeah. you know, we have to get this shot. We have all this crew. We have all these things but we don't have a woman rider. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And you have a woman Comanche rider. So if you look in the beginning, when you see those two horses and the woman has a cradle board on the side of the horse, that's me. And that's like being an independent because independent, you do everything. And anything like, what do you need? Like, how can we keep moving? So we don't waste money. And we, you know, use all of these things to the best way possible. And I did that. I went to wardrobe, threw on a dress, leggings. You know, they just saw me from the back. I wore my hair down long, just like this. And I rode the horse in and we filmed it on the drone.
5: multi Yeah,
4: Yeah. It's just like, you know, I mean, it's like almost be that this film was almost shot like an independent film. For me, I felt like it.
0: Yeah.
4: It's pretty bad, eh?
0: (laughs) Well, it's very, you know, Indigenous ladies, we get stuff done.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't want to lose the light, and um, you know, up there the lighting's kind of funny because you're so far up. Uh, starts if you're shooting at night, it starts getting light about 30. Mm. Yeah. because it already starts turning pink and twilight and everything. So, like they, the the night, the nighttime isn't very long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had long days to shoot the day shots, and so we could pack in two or three shots, you know, in, in one day.
2: Wow.
4: Yeah.
0: So how, yeah, how all would quiet. you do? A, tell me,
4: tell me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how how would you do a company move? I mean, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere.
4: Yeah, um, <laughs> all of
0: that equipment and
4: yeah, we just have to keep using it. Uh, we actually shot the majority of uh, the film on the Stony Dakota Reserve. So my grandmother was Blackfeet. Um, uh, Grovon and Nakoda, but Assiniboine, you know, Assiniboine, the, Nakoda. So it was kind of interesting because when we made the deal to shoot up there, they had never seen a native woman producer. And so I walk in to talk to, you know, council and they said, oh, well, the producer is supposed to be here. And I said, the producer is here. Oh, man. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you're producing this? I said, yeah, I'm Jane Myers. I'm Comanche and Nakoda, but I'm Nakoda from across the way. And they said, then you're one of us. So it was really amazing for them because it was empowering. They're like, usually like it's uh, how how many people watch this or who who watches this? Because they say usually it's a white guy, like, you know, that comes in here and, you know, talks to us and makes a deal. And, And they saw a native woman walking through, you know, and it was just like, whoa. And uh, that was kind of, it was really cool because then they really welcomed us. And so the first day they said, when is your first day of shooting? And I said, it's, you know, on the sixth. And they said, come out here on the fifth, come out here on the morning of the fifth and bring your native cast and native crew. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. So there were about 20 of us that came and uh, like Amber, Dakota, you know, um, all of the boys that were in the core crew, you know, all the group uh, came. And then I brought the director and I brought our cinematographer. And they had two pipe carriers and they had uh, two smudge men waiting for us. And they did a ceremony for us. Oh, wow. And that's, I've never started off a film like that. Never. And they did that not for everyone, not a big old smudge thing for everyone and holistic or whatever. They did it for the native people, native to native. That's cool. And and that was just like, oh, my God, I w- it was just so cool that we wore ribbon skirts and moccasins and, you know, uh, all the Native people, what Native stuff they had. They just wore it and it was so nice. And they did that for us. That's and I, I I don't know if I'll ever start off a movie like that again, but to start off, you know, a big shoot like this. And it just made everybody just feel like, oh, my gosh, we we belong here and we deserve to be here and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're welcomed here to shoot, you know, to shoot this film. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, the Fancy Dance recently shot here. And so they did a scene at First Americans Museum. Oh, And they, yeah, it was an evening shoot. So they kicked the whole thing off, though, with a blessing and a, a little ceremony, just to kind of bring everybody into the same space and build that energy. And it was just that's okay. the first time that's ever happened to me on set. And I was like, wow, this is, this
4: is us. Absolutely. It's a great way to start. Of course, me, when I knew that we we're going to have this and they were planning something, I ran out and bought all these Pendletons on my, uh, on my P card. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I get caught, call- I get called in by uh, accounting and by the line producer. And they were like, and then, okay, so, but where did I buy these? <laughs> Uh, so I I knew some native people there, and I said, "So like, where's like a good pawn shop where people go and pawn things?" And I went there, and they had Pendletons with the tag still on it. I mean, hello, on native, right? Right. So uh, so I went and I spent like I don't know nine hundred dollars Canadian, which is you know more in in American money, but on my P card. And they were like, Jane, why were you at the? Uh, why were you there using a um, using your P card at a pawn shop? <laughs> I had all these these boxes of Pendleton. So yeah, I I almost got in trouble. But I said, you know what, we're going to do this and do this right. If you don't think it's right, you're welcome to your opinion. But I'm Native and I'm going to be Native for the rest of my life. And if I come up here and I don't honor these people the correct way, then I can probably never come up here again. And I'll pay for it. You can take it out of my check or whatever. And I called diversity and they have a great guy named Chris Kim. That's over diversity. And he goes, you're in trouble for what? I said, because we're doing this thing. And I bought, you know, I I think I bought two, three, four, five, six Pendletons. And I said, I bought six Pendletons because we have to reciprocate, and you know, do this. And he goes, Oh, don't worry. He goes, if they don't uh, make you pay for, uh, pay for this then uh he goes if, if they try to make you pay for this call me back and we'll make sure diversity pays for it cuz he said we oh. have to do things right so yeah. yeah so right off the right off the bat we started in a good way and then i got in trouble so
0: <laughs> that tracks that tracks but, but it all worked out it all worked,
4: <laughs> it all worked out. out yes i said go ahead <laughs> yeah it was funny
0: yeah uh we did that uh, i was on set for the pilot for reservation dogs. And so that our last night of shooting, they had a little ceremony and handed out blankets. And yeah, it was, it's just, it's really nice. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very, uh, it makes you feel peaceful.
4: I think it does. And part of like what, one of my things about using language and what I tell um, different companies and different studios and everything is if your story is so dependent on our culture as a native culture to make a good story. Then you need to go the whole way, and you need to uh, also do the language. Yeah, you know, don't just half do it. You know, and, you go go the full way and use the language. If you need our our culture so bad to make your story, then you better use language.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's always been the misstep of non-natives whenever they come into our native world is that they kind of throw themselves and take over and all these kind of things into like having you as this advocate was like, you know, the other blessing of it, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't always have our native people as producers. We don't always have our native people as directors. And so they have those kind of people who know and understand why we need to do this stuff. The reason for this stuff—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a part of our tradition. It's a part of who we are, and that's kind of just—you know—the peacock things. I, I mean, anyone who's ever worked with budget probably like always comes to those heads whenever it's like dealing with indigenous communities. Said, "Well, how can we get all this stuff?" Uh, One time we were on a call where someone called it uh trinkets. He said, like, well, "Why are we worrying about these? Going to get their trinkets?" And it's like, "Oh my God! Do you know how racist that is?" <laughs> and so. <laughs> and so So, um, so you earlier, you mentioned uh, Juanita Uh Pataponi. She had read the script early on in its early stages. So kind of like how soon I believe Dan Trachtenberg wrote the script, right?
4: He was the co-writer with Patrick Asen.
3: How soon were they like in... With the Comanche Nation, working on the script, working on the film, trying to make it right.
4: Well, you know, like when you're you have a film that's in development before it's ever picked up by a studio, you don't know when it's going to be picked up. So I think he wrote that script like six years ago, five or six you know, because he's obsessed with Predator because his parents never let him watch it as a kid. So he had to see it when he got older by himself and just binged everything. But, you know, he had all these different ideas for different Predators. Uh, I mean, for different times and different, you know, different types of fights and different people, different societies. But the Comanche one was one that was in the forefront. So he let them see an early script. And um, I don't remember because when I interviewed and I came on, the studio didn't even know Juanita had passed, and I said they—they uh, they were like, "Oh, we have this great consultant, we or advisor, we want you to meet." And her name's Juanita Padapony. Do you know her? It's just like, you know, I was just quiet, and I said, "Of course I know her," and I said, I, "I know her very well," and I said, "But you know, she passed," and they were like, "What?" I mean, they had no idea, so. Um, You know, that was kind of like really they were like, oh, yeah, because everything shut down, you know, during the pandemic, nobody was talking to anybody else. Nobody was communicating. So I made sure that she and Dustin's uh, contracts because they had a contract where the first half was paid. And then when the film actually got picked up, then they would work and make the second half. But I made sure they both got paid, you know, on that contract, you know, so it went to her family. And then I also had the film dedicated to her you know, which you never Mm -hmm. see in films. You never see a dedication like that to the Comanche nation and to Juanita Pataponi, because I wanted to make sure that the Comanches were very aware. Uh, Okay. So when we, after we, we were in post-production, it takes a lot of time to do uh, all the effects. This is the Mm -hmm. first time Tully that I've worked with true effects. So you have FX, you have uh, SFX, special effects, you have, uh, um, what else? VFX. There's like all different, like five different departments of FX and the most important that they all think they're very important or they all are very important. Should I say that? They are all very important, but (laughs) then you have MFX on top of that. And that's the monster effects of the predator himself. So uh, that takes a long time to put all these effects in. So when we had just a, you know, director's rough cut, the music wasn't in, you know, um, So I I said, you know what we should do? We should take this to the Comanches. So in April, we had 80 Comanches. We had the tribal council. We had the museum people. We had cultural preservation. We had language. And we had a youth group. And we showed it to a focus group of 80 people. That's never been done. Anytime there's a movie with Comanche content, Comanches get a big screening after it's been done. And maybe they're sitting there going, that kind of looked goofy or that wasn't right. Or why did they do this? (laughs) So I, we went there, we flew from LA from working in LA. We flew out on the Thursday and uh, Thursday morning, that six o'clock flight from LAX. So we're, or five o'clock flight. So we're all at the airport, like four, thir- four o'clock, three 30, I don't know, but it was early. We were all just crashed out. We brought Amber with us. Cause she happened to be in LA at the time. So we were all just like sleeping on the plane, got there. They said, where would we go to eat? I took them to Cattleman's filled them up. And then we drove right down to the Comanches and we, uh, we screened the film for them for 80 people. And do you know, those 80 people that saw it were just like blown away. There was, there was nothing like, you need to change this. I mean, they, they couldn't believe I had language parts in there about loop and, you know, uh, because in the regular film, you know, we, we say Comanche words and stuff. So they were, they really liked it. And then somebody said, thank you for bringing this and showing it to us. Because I said, if you don't like something, now is your time. You, you tell me now, because when it comes out, uh, I don't want to hear anybody saying, oh, they shouldn't have done this or, oh, they shouldn't have done that because you had this is your chance. Like, here's, you know, we have a we have a Comanche producer. Here is your chance. Give us your notes. Tell us what you think is off, what you know, what you do like, what you don't like. So um, so mm-hmm. they loved it. And it was really, you know, they and they said nobody's ever done this for us. So see, now when people contact tribes and they're saying, we're going to use your culture, can you help us? Hopefully these tribes will say back to them, good, because when you get that director's cut, can you show it to us? Can you let us see?
5: But well, you have the template now, right?
4: I have a template <laughs> on all kinds of stuff, <laughs> even on P cards, even on P cards, I have a template. <laughs> How Sharky's. Many? I was at Sharky's Pawn Shop. <laughs>
3: <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, you guys did miss the opportunity of not calling this the Muppets movie.
6: <laughs> Who it's knows? Not like
3: the Muppet movie, but the, the movie. Movie. <laughs> Muppets movie.
4: The Muppets, movie. Big, big monster. Fia's big. Pia
5: Muppets. Jane, how I many <laughs> the other uh, producers... Uh, not not even like female producers, but how many native producers would you say are out there? Other than you know, counting yourself, I should say. I don't know.
4: Not a lot. A small number, huh? Small <laughs> number, probably under ten. Yeah. And probably yeah. women producers, maybe less. Yeah.
5: I me, mean, Heather I'm Ray, a good majority of Mara.
4: Heather Ray, ah. me, yeah. Sterling, Taika Watiti. Do you count him as domestic? You sure. know, native Taika. Yeah. Uh, who else? That have actually, you know, produced and worked on. Mm -hmm.
0: When did the producers uh, workshop start at Sundance? When When did they roll that out?
4: I don't know. I was a producer fellow in 2017 or no, yeah 2017 and mm-hmm. 2018 i was a time Warner producer fellow and then they take all because you know Sundance Institute is divided up in lgbtq women producers asian african american hispanic you have uh native indigenous Um, what else do you have uh you have, uh, you have all these different categories so they they had a chance of having seven or eight producers right then they throw them all together and everybody, they let everybody kind of, you know, like depending on what projects you do and what what you've done, kind of fight it out. But we don't know. I mean, they're just throwing this out on the table and saying, "Well, I want her because she said she's going to do this and this, and I like, you know, her past work is this and this." And um, so I think when when they did that in twenty eighteen, I got that fellowship. It's called a story storyteller fellowship. So I think the to me that really helped me. Uh, having the producers and the storyteller because it was Sundance Time Warner, because it Mm -hmm. elevates you and it gives you a chance to, you know, uh, look around like I like to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I get in there. I get in there and I look around and go, hmm, what could be possible and what could I work on and what could I make the biggest impact and the biggest difference? You know, what what could I do? So, um, so it kind of, you know, you, you're able to get a lot of meetings with people. I mean, shoot, they have a thing, uh, at their producers, uh, lab. That's like a speed dating, but it's all these different, uh, like different studios, Sony, all these different people coming to look at your different, at uh, your projects and talk to you as a producer, but you like every 20 minutes, you get a new person. <laughs> wow.
0: That's a lot of pitching.
4: It's a lot of pitching. I've never done speed dating, but I have a feeling I'd be good at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And maybe for our listeners that aren't quite familiar with a producer and what all they do and how they become one, maybe you could explain that for people that might be interested in becoming one.
4: Oh, look, Tully's gone. I was just going to say, Tully, why don't you explain this? Yes. uh, Well, (laughs) producing, I personally, I've done all kinds of producing. I've done line producing. um, I've done, you know, just regular producing, um, I've done, I like create, personally, I like creative producing because I'm a fine artist and I'm also a traditional artist. So I know how to make traditional regalia and beadwork work and everything. So um, there's many different types of producers. I've been an associate producer before. I've been supervising producer right now. I'm, I'm supervising producer on a project for Universal. So the supervising means like... <gasps> a lot of work because, you know, everybody comes to you and asks you, you know, are we doing this or how should we do this? Or what do you think? And, you know, so you're over like every, all of the other, you know, uh, components of it to make sure everything drives. And like, you know, I think I was the, I guess I would have been the supervising producer slash line producer for the Ralph Lauren project. So, you know, I mean, I've done every type of, every type of producing and you can't really put yourself above. I think anything that needs to be done, like when I go into a project, whether it's a big studio or a corporate project, I still work like I'm on an independent because I want to be hands-on. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's going to fail, it's going to be failing because, you know, uh, I was right there. It's not like oh, I'm in my hotel room and, you know, deciding. And I'll show up. No, I'm on set every day. I'm there for all the meetings. I'm there to see what's happening and how we can fix things. So, I think that's that's really important because um, for native people not enough people see us in those type of roles and we have to take ownership at at some point, you know, like we can't uh, be in this wish mentality. I wish they would get it right. I wish they would make, you know, a good film about us. No, we have to be in there helping make those films happen. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I I, I truly believe that. And like you're advocating and the way that you, the work that you did as a producer of this movie, shows a lot of what we can do and what we can aspire to and 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 how we can approach these movies with these large companies did you just set out from day one to just make sure because sometimes like when i step up to someone who's carrying the cash i'm kind of a little bit nervous like uh you know uh can we do this right (laughs) you know but how was it for you to like step up? Because, you know, you always had that that sense of like, oh shit, I don't want to like step on any toes and make people mad. Or were you just like, nope, <laughs> I got to do it right. I got to get it done. And this is how it has to be done.
4: When I first read the script, uh, Dan had always, origin- he had always wanted this film to be all in Comanche. So across the top, it said all dialogue in Comanche. And I'm like, yes. Before I even read anything else, I was like, this has potential. This has. And I'm a big fan of action films. You know, I grew up seeing The Predator. I was like, a young lady when the first predator came out and you know I was like oh it just blew me away and just seeing and I wanted this film just like Dan did to be like the first predator you know where it's just an action adventure you know no really uh craziness but you know like smart you know how you have to figure your way out and how do you fight because you know here you have like a 110 pound girl there's no way she could like kill the predator but, you know, she's smart enough and she knows how to put things together. And to me, I wanted that to be like an underlying thing to people going, whoa, Comanches were really adaptable, right? Comanches were adaptable because a Native people, we had to be adaptable to keep up with, you know, our t- the takeover and the cultural changes and everything. So I wanted people to see, you know, how the, the adaptability of Comanche people. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first read the script, there were no horses in there. And you know they're like well horses cost money and then we have to get an extra uh you know insurance for that and see if you're a producer and you're like no it the story needs to have that we had horses like so I'm sure when Juanita read that first one there were no horses in there and when I read it I'm like you're talking about Comanches we're a horse culture we're one of the first tribes to have horses we have no horses in there and one of the best scenes is Tabe on the horse you know like uh dodging all those arrows and then his fighting he's shooting and he's shooting the predator and he's sliding in and pulling out the arrow and reshooting it doing it again he's using one arrow just shooting you know over and over and to me that was like oh my god that is so cool because you know that that's a scene that wouldn't have been in there if I wouldn't have said you know we need to as Comanches we have to have horses where are the horses Mm -hmm. so no I didn't really it was big budget but I think when I first came on, I would go into every department and start working with them. And people were kind of like, oh, my God, I don't think Jane thinks I know what I can do. You know, like are my department heads because I was working with them. Right. But I'm used to being independent and I go and work on anything anyway. Right. So then later it kind of got better because I start teaching classes in the um, costuming department, you know, and this is how you roll the fringe. This is how you cut buckskin. And boy, they had some really talented people. And Stephanie Porter, Porter was our uh, costume designer and she did free guy So she worked with action heroes. And I said, we have to make her look like an action hero, you know, even though she's in native things and here's the colors you can use. I mean, I swatched out like earth colors and earth paints for them. So I gave her all of this, know like knowledge and palette man she's brilliant and she just like we had several different outfits and we'd be trying them on uh nadu and everything trying to see how you know what worked best but i mean i liked it hopefully they liked it you know they liked the fact that i was in and hands on and everything Mm -hmm. so i mean that's what i was up there to do and there was nothing else to do let me just tell you that (laughs) restaurants were closed (laughs) no restaurants You know, COVID was bad. I mean, it was like either I'm working or I'm in a hotel room and I'm not just going to be spending my time in a hotel room.
3: Oh, and that's <laughs> probably like the cause of anxiety too, because you're wondering, all right. I, I, I need to be out there just to make sure everything's working right and doing right if you just sat on the hotel. Oh, like absolutely.
4: I, I know. Oh what happened on set set today? No, I'm there. I knew what happened. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs>
2: So now we have, uh, I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Noetta.
4: Hi, Noetta.
2: (laughs) Um, So now we have a lot of like native content and television. And, you know, we've always had films, but they've always been on the independent circuit. Where do you kind of see this trajectory going with not just, you know, the hands-on approach to producing and and getting the camera people behind and everything, the sound people and all the costumes, but I mean, just in the right, in like the creative process, like the, from, from pitch to to on screen you know do you see it growing I mean are you are more oh, and more
4: new- big time I think what you're seeing is a model of uh, successful shows you know like Sterling Harjo's show Reservation Dogs you know you you you're proving to everybody that there is an audience for it and then it can be done you know then you have prey Yeah, you know, people are always saying because I've pitched tons of Native projects and they're like hmm that's a good project, but we don't know where it fits. We don't know where it would be. And you know what I would say, put us on the top. Just put us on the top then. You don't know where it fits, put it on the top. Well, but we don't know what the audience is and would it appeal to native people? And are they a movie going audience or are they, you know, now it's streaming, are they a streaming audience? Crazy thing is, you know, because some people are like, but it was on Hulu. It doesn't matter because Hulu, we have access to a lot of numbers, right? So when we first came out, they were like, well, we're not sure exactly where we want to put this. So we think, you know, so many millions of people will watch it by their 10th week, 10th week. Okay. So they, they called Dan and I for a meeting and we're like, why do they want to have a meeting with us? The movie's only been out for like, not even two weeks. It's been out for 10 days, you know, or actually it was out for 11 days and they wanted a meeting. And I said, are we in trouble? Like, what did we do? And, you know, cause like, Disney was on there, Hulu, 20th Century, you know, we just all like and we're the only two, you know, a producer and a director, like I said, small creative team, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, so we projected you, what we projected for you in 10 weeks, you've done uh, 2 million over that in 10 days. Wow. Well, 2 million over in wow. 10 days.
5: Amazing.
4: And uh and I said, well, I've always told you, put us at the top you know, put us at the top. And, and this film was at the top for Hulu. It was the biggest uh, release that they've ever had in scripted or uh, reality or movies biggest blew the doors off of them. Just, I mean, they didn't know what to do. I mean, it was so big. And they're like, how are you doing this? The native communities, when they watched it because it was positive, they embraced it. And they were like, how did you do this native community engagement? And we really didn't do native community engagement other than uh, putting native people and podcasters and n- newspapers and tribal newspapers in with everyone else, right? You mm-hmm. know, we don't want anything separate for us, created separate, Give open that door and put us in with everyone else. Yeah. So all of those people were mixed in with everyone else because I wanted them to have the first access, to have the chance to do the first review. You know, I, um, I think this one, uh, lady named Johnny J, do you know, Johnny J? Sure she, she was like, okay, I have to tell you this. Cause she, she recorded us on a, her, her podcast. And she said, I was skeptical. She, she had Dan and I on there. She said, I was like a predator movie with Comanches. Like, how is that going to work? <laughs> and she said, and then I'm watching it and I'm crying. And I'm like, on the third time I'm crying, I'm like, why am I crying during a predator movie, (laughs) you know, because it was just, you know, like you see things that we as native people, we don't see ourselves, we don't see our culture, you know, represented correctly. And so like to answer your question, I'm sorry, I'm like go long instead of short, but uh, I think the trajectory is amazing because you have really good models and positive models that it can be done. Like Mm -hmm. all of this can be done. So it not only, hopefully it'll uh, inspire filmmakers to go, you know what, I want. I can make a movie like that. This is mine and it has vampires or this is mine and it has, you know, something, right? So I think it inspires filmmakers, on native filmmakers on one side, but it also woke up studios and they're like, whoa, we want to see who has native content because look at this, Hulu had this and we didn't have like a huge budget. But for me, it was totally, it was like a huge budget. Because I've never had one in the multi-multi millions, you know. I mean, even when we did Words from a Bear, our initial budget was seven hundred and seventy-five thousand, not even a million, right? So it it was like, okay, and I've got like how many millions, and I get to make this, and oh my gosh! So you know, it was like, oh, this is great, and and by film standards, it's not like a Tom Cruise movie, you know, that has you know a couple hundred million, right, and a big budget. But for Native people, imagine what our creatives can do if they get a budget up in, you know, $80, $100 million budget to do a movie. Can you imagine what kind of movies Native creatives can uh, produce and direct and write? Oh, gosh.
3: Because because right now we got Taika, who does the uh, Marvel movies. And so we do have that. And that's always been the thing that we've always talked about as Native creatives of like, just there's an audience out there for us and it's and it's start especially showing that within the streaming platform is that you know you don't have to have everybody show up but just enough people to show up and you know we're a high population of people who talk about our stuff talk about Mm -hmm. the stuff we like and even for someone like if there's like a million people like me who just wants to watch something because there's Indian content then stuff's going to be watched right. and so then if you bring in a franchise there there's going to be the 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 uh this the sci-fi fan i don't want to say nerds they might get offended but <laughs> i'm a nerd so there is,
4: there is native but, nerds. there's native
3: yeah, nerds yeah native nerds, nerds right there, right 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 here on
2: podcast <laughs> all of us <laughs> what do you call it? all of us indigenous <laughs> indigenous
4: i like that indigenous okay yeah francis
2: he coined that
3: yeah and so you have like this built-in audience especially with the predator movie which is everyone knows about the predator films and so I was kind of upset that they didn't release in theaters cuz I was really wanting to see it on an IMAX screen. Mm-hmm. But it's still a win for us, you know. It's a
4: huge win and the fact that it really kind of opened up that demographic for all streaming services because, you know, Hulu said, "I don't know, we've had a huge jump in subscriptions in Oklahoma." New Mexico, Arizona, all those high native populated. And I'm like, you know why? Because those are native households that are subscribing. And then this is a predominantly um, like, I guess the demographic is predominantly male from like 11 years old to a hundred who watches the predator franchise, right? All male. Now, because of Hulu and streaming, 40% is female, 40%. Hmm. what does that say girl power yeah you know so it's just like you know so we have access to all these different things that we can cite and say no look you had you know so like if you're ever negotiating a budget and they're like well we're not sure where that would be oh go back and look at your go back and look at your uh numbers for prey you had a, a jump in subscriptions in native populated areas oh wait uh you had women signing on and watching this you know, I mean, we have now like the numbers, you know, it exceeded its limit. Look at the Native community engagement.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, definitely. You know, and even like in these platforms, like so Hulu, I subscribe to because of the, this movie and because of Sterling's show. Mm -hmm. and so like peacock i subscribed to and then when brother for falls got canceled i said well i don't really watch anything else on peacock that's what
4: i I did i'm like i i was like you you canceled that show no i'm not gonna
3: i'm
6: not gonna pay for that
4: (laughs) i only paid for it for that yep Mm -hmm. so i i think what we'll see is a lot of great shows in the future a lot you know i mean i have all different types of projects i'm working on you know now that uh are all different you know the only thing in my career that I haven't done is an animation and then I have Taboo going I have an animation can you produce this for me and I'm like that's the only thing that I haven't done and I've wanted to do an animation so but speaking of did you like the animation at the end of uh, Prey?
0: I, yeah I was going to ask about that whose idea that was because it's
4: amazing we wanted to do something different. And nobody has ever done at that time the appropriate art would have been hide art. It wasn't rock art and it wasn't, you know, like the rock art, cave art, and it wasn't ledger art because this this film takes place in pre reservation. So they didn't have paper and the books and everything. So it would have been. So with my fine art background, uh, we have Kaz Kip, who was the project manager. She's native, that uh, was over that. And I went to the Herd Museum Show and talk to ledger artists and ask them if they'd be interested in working with animation and animators and helping us animate a film. And I had a lot of people interested. So then we came back and Kaz went to work on calling and finding people's availability. So, uh, you know, they were more than happy to do it. And then that, that also made a connection because let me tell you the animators that we worked with had no idea I had to educate them really quick on fine art. They had no idea what rock art was. They had no idea what uh, ledger art was. I mean, we did, a, I had to do a whole big, like Kaz put together this big deck on everything just so they could see it. And uh, they had no idea. And now, like they've been calling some of these artists because they, you know, that connection has been made. Seven fine artists that would never have a, a, a way to work with, um, you know, a big, an- I mean, Disney has the best animation in the world, right? so you know it just kind of puts them in front of a new you know a new audience and then the audience is like what kind of thing was that at the end and that was so cool because you saw the three spaceships you know coming down Mm -hmm. and you know everybody was just like that's good because usually you just see like bloopers or you see like a little quick thing and then that's it but you know this is you know there were 30 cards on there so like you know it it lasted a while you know you saw 15 scenes during the credits which I thought was so cool and i was like i have to have a cool one i want the lion tree you know so they they gave me that which was good i was like i'm native i'm comanche i want that and they're like okay okay
5: <laughs> that, was, that was awesome so when's when's the sequel
4: the sequel to the prequel
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> 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 the sequel to the prequel <laughs>
2: I mean, there has been speculation that there is a sequel. I don't know that what? not of the official, I guess people just really wanting a sequel. They want
4: it. They want to follow the story. They, they love Nadu. You know, I mean, just think, this is the first time that we've had a woman hero in this franchise. If you look mm-hmm. at the other franchises like uh, Terminator, you know, uh, you had Linda Hamilton, right? Look at Aliens. You had Sigourney Weaver.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: But in this franchise, it's been predominantly male and it's been predominantly muscly males. And, you know, while that's all wonderful, I like muscly males, I can work out every day. I'll never be a muscly male. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that, you know, uh, Amber is Nadu, she's amazing. And people really identify with that. They identify her arguing with her brother. They identify her not doing, you know, the stuff her mom wants to do. We've all been there. I mean, everybody can identify with some part of that story. So I think, you know, it brings more of a human factor rather than, you know, the the muscle bound, you know, mono and mono fights and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it was amazing. So who knows? Maybe I there mean, is a credit. Yeah, you can even have the, uh,
0: the animated version of how she becomes the leader of that band or. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of story things and, and people just loved it. And when you. You know the trend now um, on Hulu or on any streaming service is like for an hour and a half. You know you, you can't do like a two-hour movie or two and a half-hour movie. I just went to the uh, Wakanda Forever premiere. Mm. Just went to Wakanda Forever uh, out here and um, or out in LA last week, and that movie's like two hours and forty-seven minutes. It's a long movie.
6: Oh,
4: yeah, it's it's long. It's good. It's really good. But it's long, so um, uh, you know. So I, I think you know. Who knows? I think there's possibilities. I mean, when something does so well, it'd be crazy to not continue it and yeah, to not do something else.
3: That's what I was saying. Sunrise had the best idea for the sequel. His was that the uh, predators come to the Comanche, and the aliens come to the Kiowa. And there's like an all-out war between the predators and the aliens and the cow and Comanche. Oh. That's a good idea.
4: Sunrise is my cousin. So when we had like an early, um, in fact, I invited him to see the early screening, but I, I let him see like some early footage and everything while we were putting it together. Because personally, I think Sunrise is brilliant and uh, he's just like, you know i mean he, he knows about big film because he works on studio things but he knows uh you know so i wanted his opinion just to let him to see what i've been working on and what he thought and everything so i brought him on early you know as one of the people to take a look and see
3: yeah yeah he did tell us about that and you know and every like uh, like i think everybody just loves amber's character in that movie just as a character itself like uh, i was telling him i was like even if you took the predator out of the movie, you'd still have a really good movie about a coming-of-age story for this person. Right. And so, But we have this, this sci-fi element that makes it even better. And because it's sci-fi, you can kind of do anything with it. You can even time travel with her and the predators and going into different places and different spaces. Oh, yeah. she, could, she could go out to outer space and fight, fight something. So there's ways you can fit her in within these, these predator stories, you know? There
4: are lots of things. And if you think about it, because you know okay so the second predator predator two you know that's where danny glover was given that gun right right so for somehow we they had horrible clothing in the 80s i I was like i just i I will burn any photos i find myself in the 80s late 80s but uh (laughs) but they uh so somehow we have to get that gun because you saw rafael was the guy with his leg cut off and you know that was his gun so we actually put a face in the character to Raphael. Nobody, uh, everybody saw the gun. It says Rapha- Raphael Angolini. Who's, of, who's Raphael Angelini? Nobody knew. And then here it is. You get to see who Raphael is. He's a coward, you know, and he plays dead. I love when he did that. I just would laugh. That was so funny. But he, um, so now we have to get that gun back to the late 80s, right? It has to make its way back there somehow. How does it get back there?
3: Hmm. You exactly. Know. exactly. It's like got to make
4: its way. Picked it travel. up on Alcatraz. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's got to because right now Nadu gave it to the war chief, who's probably by this time. You know, she, he made her the war chief, so she'll have that gun in her her belt. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. So there's all kind of possibilities. Are you kidding? All sorts of things.
3: So the 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 dreaded question is, so what is it, what is your dream? Oh, I don't know, it, some people don't like to hear the question. But what is your, what is your dream? Like, do you have a dream, pro- besides, you know, just an animation? Is there a specific animation that you want to do that you, as a dream project?
4: Um, well, um, Taboo is doing really well with his writing, you know, because he, he does still travel with the Black Eyed Peas, but he has a great writing partner, and uh, yeah. they're writing the new Spider-Man comic book.
3: Yeah, I, Did I you saw see that. that? yeah yeah so it just came out last month I think
4: yeah so he has a a idea for you know his own character that kind of came off of his character mixed race you know part native grew up in the city kind of thing so um, you know I I think that would be a cool project to do Um, you know I don't really have an animation dream project I think that I try to make anything that I get my hands on or I get hired on to do you know make it somehow elevated from what it was when I first received it, right? Like, you know, like, how, how can we tweak this? How can we make this bigger? How can we, you know, do this to, you know, like for the, best, for the best thing to change the paradigm for native people. You know, I want native people to be inspired and I want native people to be, who produced this? A woman produced this? A native woman produced this? You know, I mean, it just kind of goes along with the, the girl power of uh, Amber, you know, as Nadu. So um, I don't know. I I don't know what else I'll make. You know, I, I have like I said a few other projects from on my slate right now, and uh, but you know nothing. How, how can you top something like this? You know, I'm how, sure you'll how, find a way. I'd like to try a few things. Yeah, I have a, a few <laughs> things in here. <laughs> we need a rom
3: com. <laughs> I know we keep, we bring that up every time. No, I have people. it. No, I have it. A you not need to work. I on. have
4: it. No, I have it. Okay, so because I'm a big Predator fan, right, and I'm single, so I'm not the Predator. I'm the Predator. Yeah. yeah the predator. <laughs> oh. So like, if a girl's been talking to a guy and she's not sure she wants to go out, they call me up and like, hey. I want you to go check this guy out. Let him take you out to dinner and see what you think. I'm the predator. So I date the person before that person wastes their time or doesn't waste their time. And I get back and I go, well, so I went out with him. He's not very much fun. And he, you know, we went rock climbing. He could barely climb or he wasn't this or he wasn't that. So I, that's already, that's, that's the predator, you know, based on love is blind. And, uh, when my daughter was younger, my oldest daughter, Valencia, um, She's really pretty, and she she wanted me to. That's when they had date my mom on MTV, and she was oh, yeah. like, "I want to submit us on date my mom." And I'm like, "No, because I want to go out with like potential guys that you're going out with." And now it doesn't seem that bad of an idea, you know? I'm like, "Oh, I'll be the predator."
0: <laughs> I Not would to... totally hire you for that. Yeah. Yes. and then I like I show
4: up <laughs> and I'm wearing like my, like my outfit and I've got like some kind of Predator something on and they're like "Ah, Predator yeah I'm the one that produced the Predator oh okay you know I mean it's kind of I don't know the Predator so that's my that's my rom-com there you go Predator (laughs) don't steal my idea
3: (laughs) how are your kids because they're uh, 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 when I last talked to them I remember one was talking about directing films and 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 a couple of them have been in films is that correct am I correct on that
4: uh Pichon okay so Waikia is my oldest and she's a ledger artist. So uh, she lives in Canada. She recently had a tragedy, her house, their house burned down when they were out of town. Oh, so, sorry. but, but she's doing fine. She just did a commission for the Whitney museum. Her, so her artwork is in like great, great museums. Mm. Um, and then after Wakeya Jane is Pishan. Pishan did uh, produce her movie. It went through the Sundance filmmakers lab and she went through as a director and, I, I mean, she, she directed her movie. I produced it for her and that that's called, uh, the daily life of mistress red. And it's about a native dominatrix.
3: Oh, cool. That's because she went, Yeah. Oh, no one's God. ever done
4: it. No one's ever done it. So she went out, she went to school in San Francisco for film school. So she, um, was like exposed to all these different communities that she had never been exposed to. Right. So she was like, Oh, what if there was a native person? And what if this native person was a dominatrix? And, uh, so one of the lines in the film is she whips, uh, her, her clients. It's like getting her land back one whip at a time, you know, cause they're all <laughs> white, they're white male clients. And, and the lead actress that played that, if you look up, uh, mistress red, I think it her websites, MistressRed.com. If you, uh, look it up, um, Jennifer Rader, who was in, uh, reservation dogs that was her first acting role she was the lead in uh mistress red so it's in it's it's making it's um and actually sunrise was a cinematographer
0: yeah i think he mentioned that yeah episode or that short short or is it a feature
4: it's a short it's a short but it could be made it made into a feature but you know when we went and shopped it uh at sundance like on those speed dating things like people are like everybody says oh i have something that you've never seen before and he goes, and then, I mean, they said, and then you look at it and it's something you've seen before. But they said, this is new. Like nobody has seen this. This is totally new. And it, it's a comedy. It's really funny. And it's, uh, she's very quick-witted and kind of funny. And uh, it's like, I've been sitting in audiences at film festivals and people just laugh and laugh and, you know, think think it's really funny.
6: <laughs>
4: so yeah, so Pichon's, Pichon's a hoot. She worked on um, Marvel's Echo. So she just got back from that. Before that, she worked on Outer Range. Now she's going back to work again on Outer Range for Amazon. So she's in the business and with studios. So, so I mean, people are, people are, we're getting in there, you know, we're getting in there. And uh, my son is a model in New York, Philip, and he's with DNA talent agency and he models in New York.
3: That's so cool, and we're seeing like these families working in the in the industry now, like with the Mid Thunders, with mm-hmm. you, with with, uh, with Studie's family. You know, kind of like those old school of the uh, the Barrymoors and all that. Where uh-huh. uh, I can have all these uh, different family names that people are going to recognize as? Yeah, as, I think
4: it would be accurate. cool. The dynasty, yeah, like the we, dynasty, could have, yeah. we could have we could have native film dynasties. Absolutely, absolutely, I could see it. Totally. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that is true. Mid Thunders, us, people just doing different things and working on different projects. So,
3: what I mean, advice? I you- I Taking over. That's what we're doing. It's
2: yeah. good. <laughs> what advice do you
4: have? One whip at a time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what What advice do you have for people who want to get into producing?
4: If you want to get into producing, um, I think you should start working. Don't uh, worry about the size of the project um, and don't try to put yourself, well, I only want to be a producer. Do whatever you can. You know, for many years, I was just a cultural advisor before I actually got to step into producing and I've worked on all types of productions. So don't like judge a production by its size because a lot of native um, you know, productions are micro budget but you have incredible talent behind that. And it could be like that one gem that could you know, be your stepping stone and be your start. So um, I think if you look back at my IMDB, you can see I've worked on all different kinds of things and all different capacities. So I think the most important thing is start working, get your name out there, practice that five minute elevator pitch. If you had five minutes with somebody, because I have found myself with a lot of different studio heads or at events where, you know, I've had people that I never thought that I would, you know, talk to, like just, I went to the Saturn Awards, Guillermo, how do you say his name? Guillermo del Toro was there. Oh my God. You know, he makes incredible things. And, you know, it's just like, so have like your slate. Okay. You have three projects as a good producer. You should have three projects in three different uh, stages at all times. Um, I have like four to five right now. So, (laughs) but, but you should have three to four in different stages. I have this one that, you know, needs some development money. I have this one that's just been written. I have this one that's already ready to go. You know, we have a cast, we have people attached to it. We have a director, we have uh, actors attached to it. You know, it's got all of this interest. So practice that five minute because you never know when you're in front of somebody and that can make all the difference in your career. And if you're working, you're going to be around those people. You're going to be around, you know, executive producers. You're going to be around studio heads. You know, you never know. You could be in the van riding back to a uh, base camp with somebody and they're like, Oh, who are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, well I'm doing this, but I really produce. And this is, you know, I have this project, this project, and this project. And they're like, what? I just had somebody do that recently on our project. And, He's an educator and he ended up being in New Zealand. Well, guess who was in New Zealand? James Cameron. And he was sitting at a dinner and he had, he goes, I'm so glad you told me to have that five minute pitch. He goes, James Cameron goes, so what kind of projects do you work on? And this guy has a really good project. And he said, well, I developed this and I can tell you about, it. he goes, tell me about it. Now he has a meeting with James Cameron.
5: That's awesome. Wow. You know,
4: cause he was ready and he called me. He's like, Jane. I'm so glad that you told me, you know, have that five minute elevator pitch.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And, and he's got, he he's so nervous now. Cause he's, he's going to do a zoom with James Cameron because James is interested. He emailed, he took his information and then James Cameron's people emailed him back and said, he wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And they were both in New Zealand. So you never, you know, you never know, but be ready. And if you're constantly working, you know, whether, you know, what if you're working as with set deck or what if you're working you know, with something else, that's fine because you're there. And sometimes when there's Native content, there are no Natives around. And they're like, oh, we're just going to do it like this. Well, that's your time to speak up. And then also there are a lot of people that aren't used to seeing Natives on set. You might be the only Native that they see all day long. You know, when we had pray, we, we had an internship program where we hired Native interns from Calgary. And a lot of those people got into the, because they made their hours and they got into the union up there. So I have people like sending me messages. I'm on my third show since pray, you know, and thank you for, you know, giving me the start and, and doing that. So, you know, um, I just think you need to have all those things ready, but most important, you should work, just be there, show up and work. I mean, Jason, look at all the same people. Like, have I worked with black horse? Yes. Have you worked with black horse? I mean, we always just pitch in together and work on different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we just all help each other, you know, as a community and, uh, just be ready, go to work. If you really wanna be in film, go work on film. Cause maybe you, you'll find out film isn't for you. Some people hate production. Some people hate pre-production. Some people hate post. I personally like production. If I can be outdoors every single day during a pandemic, I'm out there, you know, <laughs> when, when we were all like shut in and locked in and stuff, so.
2: Yeah, I don't yeah. think people really realize how much goes into making not only a television show, but a film as well. Yes.
4: Absolutely. Or a six-part, you know, series now. A lot of those uh, six-part things are very popular. I yeah. have have some of those on the okay. horizon, you know, and it's like, this mm-hmm. is like making a movie and a half. When you start looking mm-hmm. at it and dissecting the script and everything, it's like, oh, it's like making a movie and a half on this.
2: And <laughs> um, what, if, if you could tell us, you know, what are you working on now? Like, what?
4: I can't really say but i'm doing a (laughs) i'm doing a documentary it's really important um because i want more people like to like sterling is getting a lot of awards awards are really important because that kind of solidifies us in hollywood so i'd like to have an oscar so i am working with a uh an oscar uh winning production company on documentaries and we're doing a documentary for universal which is really good and um i have like a project out at hbo it hasn't been greenlit yet and couple of other projects once you work with you know like 20th century or disney they say you're in the family so they're constantly bringing you projects to see if you're interested in and you know what you're interested in so there, there are some things out there i produced two shorts when i got back rude girl and uh, mistress red so i have those um, under my belt that i did while i was here and then i pinched it for taylor sheridan because i met him through sundance and i worked on episode seven eight and nine of 1883 Mm -hmm. so you know like like I said go to work Mm -hmm. go to work and it just so happened because I did 1883 now I have a meeting there's Nicole Harjo um, who's with Paramount now and and she just reached out to me today and wants to set up a meeting so like why because you're there and because you're working and you're you know may have not been like the job that I really wanted but you know, he was like, can you just help me? Because I, you know, he, they needed an advisor and they were trying to find somebody. He said, just help me get through these episodes. And I said, sure. But I said, can I do it? I said, I'm in post right now. Can I do it remotely? And he's like, yeah, you can do it remote and just meet with my departments and, and help them. And I said, absolutely. So, you know, just because I did that and he's on Paramount, now I have a Paramount, you know, executive. Hey, Jane, we want to talk to you. So you never know. I mean, you just have to be there you know like what does Woody Allen say I shouldn't even say Woody Allen but you know (laughs) half of half of of success is showing up right
6: yeah
4: but we have to show up we have to show up and the way that Native people are showing up in film I mean we're like we're strong I mean this is the strongest we've ever been and people ask me that they're like why do you think it's different why do you think you see all these because we're prepared now before, when it was a wish mentality 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, even from the beginning of film, we didn't have native directors, producers, writers, we didn't have the people that could step into those positions, we have those people now. That's why you see the difference. Because I'm sure Sterling Hardo speaks up and says, hey, wait a minute, when he's in the pitch meeting, and this is my show, and this is what it's going to look like, and someone doesn't understand, and he's going to say, no, this is my culture, and this is the way it looks when you live in our tribal community these are the cars that we drive these are where we hang out people like sonic you know i mean he he can bring that reality because he's standing right there if they're reading it on the piece of paper and there's not a native person in the room you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to get your point apart or a point across
0: well and and the people that we've talked to that are producers and creative natives, they are all dedicated to not only kicking the door open, but holding it open for other creative natives.
4: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Look at the credits on uh, not our natives weren't just in front of the camera, but we had native people, you know, I mean, even even down to post, you know, Kaz Kip worked on the animation, you had native artists, doing the animations you didn't have somebody just show it to him and go oh here you know create an animation like this no these native artists will create the guides and then you animate the action whether she's throwing an axe and trying to pull herself up from the you know the mud pit or whether the dog's barking or whether the ships come in you know all of those were, were created by native hands
3: yeah, and it's even cooler when it's like, for me at least, like I see all these names I recognize. I was like, oh, shoot, there's Jane, there's, you know, <laughs> there's Guy, there's, you know, all these cats who are a part of the uh, the process. And it's like, oh, man, it, it just like makes you, at least for me, it heightens that feel of like just loving whatever you're watching, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's dedicated to Comanches. When does that happen? It's dedicated to Juanita Patapone. My father passed away during uh, during post, he passed away in May. So in the end, and Amber's brother passed away right before we started shooting. We were in pre-production and her brother passed away. So mm-hmm. in the end, you have my my dad and then you have her brother, you know, in there as well. So like, when do you ever see that? You know, because people, there's not even a concept to think Native people. If we're going to use your culture, you better be thinking Comanche Nation or you better be thinking arapahoes or muskogee creeks or you know whomever i mean it should i mean that whole thing you know now like the whole thing has changed i think it's changed because we have a new model oh look they think the comanche nation oh because you know in in the beginning I, I forget what uh oh i know what it was so when she remember when she's hunting those rabbits because see they're supposed to be like storing meat and she was hungry and all this stuff they had her hunting rats and i said okay So I used to hunt with my cousins and I've never seen Comanches eat rats. There are 20,000 Comanches. You make us eat rats in this script. You're going to have 20,000 Comanches coming after you when it comes out. (laughs) And they're like, well, what should it be? And I said, rabbits, why can't it be a rabbit? And then you see her walking and she's, you know, she gets the rabbits and she's carrying that whole thing. You know, I mean, it's like just little, little things like that. right? Right. I said, we're, we're a noble warrior society you know, you have to be like, you don't even, we don't even eat fish. You know, you're a bad hunter if you have to eat the fish. So, you know, why would she be eating rats? I've never seen anybody eat rats. I've seen people eat squirrels and rabbits and bullfrogs, you know, the big frog legs. And I said, but no, I said, no, don't do that. And they changed it.
5: There's very random rats.
4: What the heck? You know? I No, yeah. we're not eating rats. No, 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 no.
3: Yeah, that's like if we if we could think of the worst thing to show a native person hunting and eating, I think that would be a rodents. I mean, there are there are a few like the Southwest tribes who eat those little those little mice, but they're not rats, you know. I was like, whoa.
4: <laughs> yeah. So just you know, I mean. You might be the only Native in the room. And if you are, then you have a say. And you have a say whether you're working in catering or whether you're working someplace else and you, you see something that's wrong, speak up, say it. You know, whether you're working in Video Village and you're doing video or audio that day or whatever you're doing, but you're a Native and you're on there. And, you know, it's your duty as a Native person to speak up for our culture. If you're on a set, you should you have, you have a voice and you should speak up. Mm-hmm. And you might be the only native people see all day. Like we had so many natives working on this production. Uh, They had the grip Olympics, you know, like in the downtime. (laughs) And so like the grips were all like, and it was a native guy. It was a native guy from, um, uh, from Sixica that won the the grip Olympics because they had to carry all of like, like, I don't know, like 10 uh, sandbags on each arm and whoever went the furthest, you know, and they would drop the bags wherever they were and, and then they were walking on the road. And man, this native guy, and he was fit, really fit and everything. And he was great as a grip. And boy, he grabbed all those and he just kept on going. God, he looked so little. He was way down that road. We're like, you can stop. You won. You won. You know, he was just little, going away. He was getting smaller and smaller, just carrying those. And I was like, oh my God. And he won the Grip Olympics.
6: <laughs> hmm.
4: So all of those people that work in grip in Canada are like, you know, yeah, we had him working in grip and and he won, he won the grip Olympics. <laughs> we had a native guy. He walked, he he beat us like by a mile. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you just never you just never know. I mean put natives everywhere. I mean, that's how I feel. We should be everywhere. And we should be at the top. Love yeah. it. Love to see it.
3: That's what I've always wanted to see. That's what we always talked about, you know, when, when we were kids watching like you said, like those action movies where it's usually some muscle bound white guy, you know, when we're we gonna see the natives being those characters, when are we gonna see, you know, it's happening now and, and you're one of yeah. the, the, the the leaders of that of I years.
4: hope so. If I'm if I'm remembered for only that, I would just be pleased, you know, and then doing the language and breaking that language barrier from the beginning so people don't use our language as an afterthought you know, use it from the beginning and, you know, do what's right. So if I'm only known for that, then I'm fine.
3: Yeah, well, for me you have, I mean, even like when, you know, we had that, our dog that was shown at the, um, the uh, Indian market, and they didn't even tell me that it was in it. Remember, and he had to call me and say, "Hey, man, you want you're winning an award tomorrow. You going you gonna be here?" I said, like, "Oh, shoot! Nobody even told me." So we just hopped in our van and hauled ass down there to get there. <laughs> I said, "I would have been there all weekend, all weekend, man."
4: <laughs> I've always worked on you know promoting native film, whether it's in a film festival, and I've done uh, film camps for native, native youth, native youth film camps. I'm the chair of a. Uh, Silver Bullet Productions, which has a philanthropic arm that does, uh, does native, well here in New Mexico, it's only in New Mexico, but we do, uh, we go into the different Pueblos and we teach people how to make films. We leave behind a camera and we leave behind a laptop. So they're able to shoot and they're able to edit. So they don't need us there like all the time, but they can you know make their own media and make their own uh, content. I mean, the more content we have, the better. And the more that you have Native kids interviewing their grandparents or tell me a story and they're shooting on the camera. Incredible.
0: Well, and I, I follow a lot of Native creatives on like TikTok on, and mm-hmm. Twitter. And I mean, that's how I connect with a lot of the people in my community is through Twitter. And they're putting out really amazing staff.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you can make a you can make a movie with your cell phone. Um, my little grandson makes stuff all the time and sends it to me. What do you think about this? Should I change music? Should I do this? And I'm like, oh my God. Like he's just making these like nothing, you know. And I think about <laughs> us like with technology. And it's like, oh, but you know, they can they can do everything.
0: Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight. Aww. Really appreciate it. And we are inspired. And I hope our listeners are inspired as well.
4: Well, it's been my pleasure. So thank you so much for having me. Jane, it's
2: been where real exciting. can we find you on social media?
4: I am on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Instagram as the Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Tully's laughing. I know you would laugh. Tully knows <laughs> like he knows my personality so he can fill you guys in later because he, he knows how I am. So I'm the Jane and then I'm Jane Myers, J-H-A-N-E-M-Y-E-R-S on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter, but I don't really do Twitter very much. It's uh I have I have long working days. I have long working days. So
3: <laughs> Twitter's a lot of work. <laughs>
4: it is. It's like, oh, can I link one thing and it just goes to all three? You know, it's it's good that you can link uh, Instagram to Facebook.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us. And we will sign off. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real indigenous. Real indigenous. That's Only awesome. one person chimed in.
3: I know oh, you should eyes.
0: all
4: do it. Do it again. We, I know. Try
0: it again. Okay. Mute button. Okay. Every, yeah. Everybody, unmute. Okay. Are you ready? And remember, don't just keep it real.
3: Keep, keep it real, real
6: and indigenous. indigenous.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it always ends up. We have it all. <laughs>
4: off, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> one day. <laughs> like the dysfunctional family here, it's all right. Yeah, Happy okay. Thanksgiving. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Aka thanks taking. So.
4: Yeah. Oh, I like that thanks taking. Yeah. Friends giving. I'm like I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Thank you. you have those times off. Thanks everybody.
3: All right, Thank Jane, Jane. Have a safe Jane. trip. Take Bye. care.
4: I'll be there tomorrow. All right. <laughs> all right. Get ready Bye. for severe weather. I heard it's raining. It's been a rain, right? Yeah. A lot of fun. Yucky. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.
6: Thanks. (laughs) Later.